This is Hunting Land, the podcast for landowners and land hunters with how-tos for habitat management and land investment. If you own, manage, or dream of owning land, this is the podcast for you. You know, we had a show a couple weeks ago with Chuck Sykes, and we were talking about baiting in Alabama and how it's legal for the first time in history. And I wanted to revisit that subject. It, it has a lot of popularity, and whether it's for good or for bad, there's a lot of folks that have never done any kind of uh, feeding, never done any kind of baiting, uh, never used deer tractants other than maybe scents uh, in any way. So, you know, Clint, I really want to go in depth on this today and learn if, is, is it really just a, a cure-all? You know, can you just go, dump, go out there and dump a pile of corn, sit on top of it, and, and, and shoot a deer every time? Uh, or is there more to it? Is it a tool we can put in our tool belt uh, to use just like we use, you know, proper tree stand placement and, and using the right wind, thinking about all the variables that go into hunting. What, what are you thinking about asking today? I mean, what, what do you really want to know about feeding deer and hunting deer over feed if you choose to do it? My biggest concern about it has always been the, the side effects of it and not just the health of the herd, but the, you know, we all hear about those, those big concerns and horror stories, but really more about how does it change their pattern or does it change their pattern? Because my biggest fear is that I, I, I ruin the spirit of the hunt uh, by doing this wrong. And I want to do what's, what's best for my property and what's best for my deer and go from there. Yeah, I'm, I'm there with you on that. And, and I, I've also just got kind of a, you know, just a reservation about the practice in general. It's like we've been hunting our whole lives without the need and without the use of feed. So why start now? you know, do, do we really need to do it? And, and need probably, probably not. I mean, we'd probably kill as many deer as we've always killed if, if we didn't, but you know, if we decide to do it or we're hunting somewhere where it's a normal practice or one of our friends is doing it is, do we need to feel guilty about it? Do, and (laughs) can we, can we use it in a way that is like I say, for me, I just don't want to feel like it makes things a layup. I'd like, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it in a way that uh, is smart, uh, not only from a hunting perspective, but also can we do it and and do something that benefits the herd? So uh, today we're going to be talking with Josh Kinzer. Josh is with Big and J Long Range Attractants, and these guys have been making uh, deer tractants for a long time, and they've seen them used in a lot of different states, a lot of different terrain. And uh, I want to dig in with Josh today and, and learn about deer tractants and deer feed, but specifically for the southern states. Josh, welcome to Hunting Land. Tell us a little bit about Big and Jay. I know you guys, uh, you make a number of different types, types of attractants. Uh, tell me a little bit about what you guys do over there. Well, uh, you know, I, I live in Texas uh, and marketing director, but uh, we're based out of Grand Island, Nebraska, which is also the home to uh, Hornady Ammunition. And um, I've known Jeremy for, for years and years, but Jeremy started making this product in his garage. And, you know, when I'm talking about BB squared was our original product and he didn't make it to sell. He, he was making from what he was seeing, um, how the deer were acting to, to different portions of cattle feed. He started making his own mix, uh, and then blending in a few different things. And, and it's really just making it for his own farm to feed the deer. Uh, you know, and then one buddy heard about it and, Hey, you got to make me some of that. And then another buddy and, and, and it just started to kind of grow, but yeah, he, he never had the intention of ever bringing this to market. That's interesting. 
that's uh, oftentimes how the best stuff comes out is, you know, you just demand it. It, it makes you think, hey, maybe there's a business here. So, and the funny thing is, he didn't want anybody to know about it. Yeah, right. You know, he, <laughs> <laughs> he was keeping it secret in his garage for several years. So, that was giving him his edge. So, you guys call your attractants long range attractants. What do you What do you mean by that? With most of our products, um, the the smell is uh, it's a lot. You know, the more powerful smell, when you can smell it, you know, 100 yards uh, downwind of it, I mean, you know, you're never going to be able to smell it that much further. Um, it, it's it's a very, very uh, impactful smell. And, and I I think uh, what I've seen is, you know, that aroma hits deer. But once they've tasted that and they, they realize that, hey, you know, I'm getting protein, I'm getting minerals, I'm getting energy. Um, you know, there's a, there's seven and a half percent fat, which is something that's not found in the natural uh, diet a lot, you know, especially during the rut. I mean, they, they need it so bad. But anyway, when they start associating that smell, you know, with a, a more nutritious mouthful, then as soon as they smell it, they, they know what they're going to. But yeah, you can, you can, you know, you open that bag and it hits you and it's a lot more powerful than, than just regular field corn. I've witnessed that out in Kansas and I've, I was impressed. I didn't realize it, it wasn't uh, just corn out there. And when I got done, I asked our, our guide, I said, man, what was that stuff? And that was the first time I've heard of you guys. And, and it seems like it's just gotten bigger and bigger since. You know, when, when Jeremy, you know, he had investors come in and, and they, they brought a lot of experience and, you know, buying a lot of the company and, and adding to what they did, you know, on the cattle side. And with that, you know, came five PhD room, ruminant nutritionists to, just sort of tailor this to a whitetails uh, diet. You know, ever since then, we've just added really a great team around it from the sales and distribution side to, you know, our partners in every aspect. And what we've just tried to do is continue to make products that are nutritious, built for deer, and and then also that attract. You know, I, I'm really proud of our mineral products. You know, those some of those products don't work necessarily as well into the hunting season, but a deer's antler, about approximately 30% of a deer's antler is made out of mineral, 20% calcium and, and give or take 10% phosphorus. So uh, that's an important piece that, you know, we just want to make sure and have, uh, as we say, herd health 365. You know, we want to we make sure that we've got everything uh, that a whitetail needs. You mentioned the nutrition aspect of it, and I, I think that that's something important to key in on. Is So most guys, uh, like me, when I, when I think of baiting or feeding deer, I just, you know, I'm going to go grab a 50-pound sack of corn or I'm going to, uh, you know, fill up a grain bin with corn, and that's what we're going to feed with. And never really putting much thought into it over that. And now when it comes to food plots, that's where guys where where I grew up hunting and where I still hunt, you know, that's what they're thinking. Okay. We, you know, we're really going to get, try to get the right salad bar out there to give the deer everything they need. And, but when it comes to feeding, it's almost, I guess it's just really like an afterthought. So, and I, and I shouldn't speak for everybody. I mean, there are a lot of guys that do protein supplements uh, during the ant- antler grow, growing period and that type of thing. But what, when you say that it's more nutritious for the deer, besides the fat content that you mentioned, what do you mean? What, what are deer looking for during, say, hunting season that, that your products have in it that, that's benefiting them? You know, if we compare it to corn, uh, field corn is going to be, you know, 7 to 
protein. You know, whereas a deer really needs something around 16% and more, you know, you don't want to get too high, but corn is, is got its place as, you know, and that's why we put some of it in it because it's got some sugar and it gives them energy. But would you feed your kids just corn every day? You know, no, there's, there's not a lot of protein in there for them. So, you know, one of the reasons that South Texas deer are as big as they are, people don't realize a lot of that brush that's got thorns and looks like just crap is 22% protein on the leaves. You know, not even in the rest of Texas. The rest of Texas doesn't have as big of deer as South Texas does due to a lot of the soil, which, and a lot of that brush. So, uh, just an example, I just wrote an article about where the big deer come from. You know, Texas has, uh, I believe it's 254 counties. Well, it's like, 60% of our Boone and Crockett entries come from five counties and those five counties all touch each other down in South Texas. So we know that protein is going to, is going to help a deer's body. And that's what we want to take care of first, right? Cause the antlers are the, the, the body's got to be put in place and built back up before those nutrients go to the antlers. So what we've done is just blended a lot of the different pieces together, protein, fat, uh, energy, as well as, uh, you know, even in, in BB squared, there's, there's small bits of mineral, you know, trying to hit everything. Now, if you just compare that with corn, that's, that's just going to be a different story. That's interesting to hear you say that. Cause that's, that's putting a kind of putting a light bulb in my head, at least if you're thinking about it from a perspective of, well, why would I want to feed the deer something that's going to benefit his antlers when he's not during the antler growing phase? But what I, if what I'm hearing you say is correct is basically that deer's body has got to be in, in good shape to be correct. able to put on those antlers. And that's where the importance of providing year-round uh, nutrition, optimal nutrition year-round, that's where that comes in is when they get to the antler growing phase, they're in the right shape that they need to be in. Yeah, because, you know, our, our South Texas rut is, uh, is really, really intense. Uh, so, say we'll have a few does come in that didn't get bred the last year. They'll, they'll come in somewhere around December 5th or something. It always surprises you. It's just a few, you know, but the main rut will be basically the week of Christmas. And then we're going to have another really, really intense rut there in mid January. And then another one that I know people say, Oh yeah, there's just two ruts bull. I've got deer rutting so hard. And you know, the first week of February, and by the time, you know, we're there, I think everybody's seen it, whether you're in Kansas or South Texas or Alabama, the big bucks, they've lost, some of them have lost 50 pounds, you know, so they're going to go back into feed mode. Um, that's why I think that's a very important part. A lot of times people want to walk away from deer season and just, hey, you know, but I mean, for me, as soon as deer season's over, I, I go to work right away. I'm, I'm feeding, you know, our product. I, uh, I get cottonseed out there. Uh, I have it readily available to me and, and cottonseed, although it's not a great uh, source of protein, it is a fantastic source of fat. And, and so, you know, there's no silver bullet out there, uh, but it's a, uh, whether you're using food plots or, or it, it's all, you know, I like to look at the whole property and the whole, uh, nutritional plan and look at it as a whole. And so then when you get to spring, you know, one time, I, one thing I always like to, to try to explain to people is, a lot of people think, you know, hey, all right, deer are starting to grow their antlers. They need mineral more at this time. It, yes, but why is that? 
because deer really need mineral about the same year round. But generally what happens is the time that it's most crucial into the antler building phase, the deer have switched to a different diet, uh, green forbs and, and all kinds of things that are coming up in the spring. And although that's great food, it's really devoid of minerals. So, you know, I'm just using the example feeding minerals at that time. You're, you're filling a gap in there. Um, and, and each property is going to be different on how big that gap is. You know, uh, I know that uh, my soil is, I manage a 2,400 acre place in South Texas. My soil is excellent. Uh, a lot of times people in the South East get mad at me because I don't even lime when I plant my fields. I don't even fertilize. Uh, but my buddy about an hour away from me pretty much got told that he's got the worst soil in the state of Texas and deer will come to mineral on his place year round. Hmm. So I got a little long winded on that one. Sorry, but well, no, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, we talked with, uh, we talked with Mark Buxton about this, um, in a previous show and, you know, basically he's echoing what you're saying to, on a different subject altogether, but, but it's site specific. Clint and I deal with that a lot in real estate. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, folks constantly uh, I'll, I'll say, give you a- Underneath all is the land. I'll give you a good example. Um, so our meltdown product, it's uh, it's been kind of redeveloped into the deer dig it. So, you know, it was a product that you could add water to. And, and really what we found is people just wanted to have it either with water added to it in a liquid and in a powder. So we kind of revamped it to, to deer dig it. But it works okay for me. It, it wouldn't be in my arsenal my favorite of ours. My buddy Chase that I told you about that lives, that's one of his favorite things. The guys in Arkansas that have uh, low salt content in their soil, they're killing deer on that November. Like my buddy Aaron, that's his favorite product. The guys in Kentucky, that's all they want. When we kind of were phasing out meltdown, they got depressed. I was like, guys, hold on, hold on. We're just rebranding it and calling it Deer Digit. And and so, you know, I've seen it be different across the street for, for soil. Um, and, and soil plays a huge role. You know, if you look at, if we just think Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young as a, as a data point, right? Uh, we know that not everybody that shoots those deer turns them in or whatnot, but it's, it's a good set of data for us. I mean, you, if you take Kansas out of the equation, almost every ca- top county in that sits along the alluvial plain of the Mississippi River, which is also our, our top producing ag counties. You know, and, and and I did a blog on Big and J and and, and showed on the on our on our I did a blog on the Big and J website and showed and you can see the states that have the highest yields of agriculture have the biggest deer generally, and that's because of soil, because of nutrition and mineral and and all that. You know, everybody's gonna gonna have a different void, and if you're in a place that that has and I'm going to bet Alabama, Mississippi is going to be very, very similar to the results that the guys have seen in Kentucky and Arkansas with, with a product like Meltdown or Head Rush that has salt in it and has other minerals in it. I mean, they dig holes for it because they need it. It's interesting. So it's almost like, you know, we do a lot of soil tests here uh, when we plan our food plots to know what amendments we need to make uh, either when we plan or in the off season and probably use the some of that same knowledge and knowledge of your, your unique property to select if you're going to do supplemental feeding or you're going to, you're, you're going to use a deer attractant that should help you in selecting the right one. Cause maybe it's, maybe it's not, you know, what you, what you think. So, you know, 
one of my big hangups with feeding deer during the season and just in general is the pressure that I feel, and I might be wrong, but I'm just going off anecdotal evidence, but the pressure I feel like I'm creating just by physically having to put out that feed. So what kind of tips could you give me or, or you know, give our listeners if they're getting into feeding uh, or they're doing feeding now, what do you do to keep the pressure down? Or do you feel like it matters? I've got some people that tell me, no, man, you got to get on a regular, you got to get on a regular uh, feeding schedule. You know, you get, if you get out there every week, they get used to it. I just have a hard time with that. Yeah. We've always been taught low pressure, low pressure, low pressure. Well, um, you know, feeders play a big role in that. I do a lot of stuff with all seasons feeders and they have a timed protein feeder that during the season I love. I can put 600 pounds in it and then set it to time and it just fills up those troughs. So, you know, that way I know I'm going months and it's going to fill those troughs up with whatever I want to put in it. That's a, that's a huge help uh, using, you know, using a gravity feeder same way. But, you know, if, if you are feeding in the area, uh, I'm just going to use an example because you said you, you mainly bow hunt and you're walking to your tree stand, you know, how much pressure is it going to be to stop 20 yards from where you're in your stand and dump out a bag? Um, you know, as long as the deer around have, have gotten used to that and go, Oh yeah, I know what that is. I, I think you're still going to have, have good success with it. But I, I, I think what you're talking about more is driving around every day and just dumping one bag out or even every week, you know, kind a, of lot a, of, mm-hmm. a lot of our guys, uh, in the Southeast, you know, they're working and, they get off of work on Friday and they drive up to their, their lease or their land. And, you know, Saturday morning, they're in their favorite deer stand Saturday afternoon. They're sitting on a food plot. It's a big, it's a, it's kind of a, it's a shock or the first time you start feeding to me where you get to the, you get to the woods, you get to your spot and you feel like, man, I got to go, I got to go get feed out if I don't already have it out. So, I mean, is that what you guys use to, to kind of alleviate that is, you just go with, you know, these big, big feeders that, that you can really load up and you kind of set it and forget it and not worry about it. Yeah. I mean, you know, my real big feeders that I use on, on my property are, um, I generally don't hunt them. Uh, I put them in different places in the brush and, and those are places that I, you know, I'm mainly using for supplemental feed that I want them to have access all night long. You know, I let those run empty right around the beginning of the season. The the feeders I keep in other places are smaller. I like the time protein feeders because, you know, we also have to worry about, uh, you know, the, the deer, if there's, if there's no reason for them to come out in the day, it's already hard enough to get a buck to come out in the day. I don't like giving him more reasons to not. You know, I've got a buddy who comes and hunts with us, and he's from the panhandle of Florida. And I fight with him all the time about this because he thinks he's helping and he, he's hurting. And he'll have his daughter with him and he'll be all excited. He's like, man, you know, I'm going to, he'll take four bags of Big and J, three bags of Deadly Dust, a cube and all this stuff. He'll go just make a smorgasbord. Well, there's no amount of deer that's going to eat that in one sitting. They're going to eat all night and then they're not going to be hungry in the morning. So I think you've got to watch how much in that situation, you know, if I'm hunting and I know I've got a place where I've got a lot of deer, I'll pour out a 20 pound bag. And I know, hey, some deer might eat it, but I'm not, I don't want to pour too much out, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you've got to, to, to know how many deer you, you've got there, and sometimes less is more. Because 
you know, I'll give you an example. What if you only poured out half of that 20 pound bag and you knew you were coming back to the same stand in the morning and you rolled it up and put it in your tree and then in the dark, you refreshed your pile. You know, that's a good, I'm glad you brought that up because that is, that is another question. I think a lot of guys who haven't, haven't fed before, uh, haven't hunted over it is, is exactly that is how much to, what's the right amount to put out? And, you know, do you have any rules of thumb as far as, and, and I'm specifically talking about guys that are hunting over feed, not, not necessarily supplemental feeding, you know, for the purpose of nutrition, they're just trying to kill a deer. They've, they've fed their deer year round. It's time to harvest. So what's the right amount so that you can get that daytime movement and not create uh, those nocturnal habits? Well, and you know, um, with baiting, I, I, there's a lot of people around, you know, oh my God, they just bait. I'm not us, you know, and, and get some sort of attitude. And really, um, we all bait when we fish, right? So if I'm running a buzz bait out in the middle of the lake, I'm probably not going to have a whole lot of success, right? But I'm using a bait. And so I think there's tactics to baiting, you know, that, that people know and, and understand. And, you know, there, there's a lot of things to think about. So let's say I'm in an area of high deer, deer density and I only pour out five pounds. Well, at four o'clock, 10 doe come in and eat all that. And it's gone before that last 30 minutes of sunrise or sunset, sorry. And the buck never comes out because there was nothing there. So there, there's a lot of things that you have to think about. Uh, what I like to do is pour maybe a couple of different piles around in different, you know, shooting lanes that I have. And if it's a place where I know I'm going to have a whole bunch of does come in, you know, it, I got to think about that. You know, the, the other thing is I, I generally like to pour in lines versus piles a lot of times. One, you can spread it out. Two, if it does get moisture, it can dry out quicker in the day. But if you have one pile, you're going to have one doe come in and eat it, and she's not going to let any others. And, you know, let's, let's say we're in a rut and we've got a buck looking for does. The more you can get eaten on it, you know, so that's something I do in baiting a lot of times, even though I'm during the rut. I'm not baiting for bucks. I'm baiting for does. Right. And the more does that I can get surrounding me, if it's rut time, I'm fine. I don't care if that buck ever comes in to eat it. So it All I'm like doing is do. surrounding myself with those. You, you well, I do. <laughs> sounds like you move it around strategically as needed, kind of, you know, I guess watch the action if you start. And so, yeah, it's hard for me to answer what the right amount is because it really just depends on your deer density, you know, because I don't want to tell you to pour out too much if you've got a low deer density. Uh, Kansas is, you know, there's a lot of parts of Kansas that'll break your heart. You know, you'll go three days without seeing a deer. And then all of a sudden, the one you see, you, you know, because there's parts of Kansas that have really low deer density. So if I go and dump a whole bunch of feed, you know, and I keep noticing, well, I didn't see anything, but man, they sure are eating it at night, you know, without a trail camera knowing, you know, what exactly is eating it. It, it, it might be wiser to have them continuing to look for food in the day uh, by not pouring out so much. So it just really depends on the situation. And if you're using a feeder for this, are there any certain types you like or recommend? Um, you know, ours is not, it's going to be dispersed in a broadcast feeder, really. So you would still get the smell from it, but they, they wouldn't be able to ingest a lot of it. So, you know, using gravity feeders is, is really a way to go. Uh, there's a few timed feeders out there. All Seasons makes a timed protein feeder in 600 and 1,000 pounds. 
I love that fear. Now, what I do, I, I do put a little bit of corn. Uh, like I'll put a couple of bags of Big and J and then I, I pour like some corn on top of that. And then I go back to like layers of Big and J. What the corn does, it just kind of acts like roughage and helps clear it out every once in a while. But I really, I really like that because I know, you know, if, if you're a guy that's only going to be able to show up on the weekend and you got this feeder and it's going off every morning and every night and filling that trough and you never have to go in there and then you can just slide in Friday night and you're ready Saturday morning. That's a lot better than getting on your ATV at 1130 at night, dropping off a bag and, you know, hoping, hoping for the best. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking more about the do's and don'ts of deer attractants. Hey guys, we get a lot of landowners that want to know how much is my land really worth? We've recorded a video series to explain exactly how we determine that. Just head over to landhunting.com slash go to get the series. I'm confident it will help you achieve your land goals. And we're back on the show with us today is Josh Kinzer from Big and J. Josh is an expert when it comes to deer tractants and deer feed and uh, everything that goes into uh, proper supplemental feeding, whether it's for hunting or for deer nutrition. So you mentioned during the rut, trying to attract does as opposed to worrying about trying to attract bucks. And I, you know, we, I'd agree with that, but is there anything with regards to nutritional value that attracts one gender over the other? I mean, are bucks more in need of mineral because they're growing antlers than, than does are, but I mean, does need it for lactation, right? So, I mean, is there anything that in, in any of your products or is there anything in, in feeds in general that you have observed, you know, say a higher buck to doe ratio. You're absolutely right. You know, does need mineral just as much. I mean, just like a pregnant mom, you know, we're making sure she has prenatal vitamins with calcium and phosphorus and, and all that. Uh, but when we get to the rut, you know, those bucks are running themselves down that when they come and they hit BB squared, they'll stop. And I mean, they engulf it for like a minute or two and then that's it. They're going to eat as much as they can. And they start learning like, hey, I can either waste my time going around picking up a bunch of niblets of corn or I can come in here and inhale, get a whole bunch of energy back and get back to chasing tail. And so even though my strategy is to get as many does as I can around me during the rut, you know, we, we've had a lot of good success with, with BB squared to die for uh, and de- deadly dust, which is a sweet corn powder also. But bringing in, you know, you'll be sitting... 9 30 10 o'clock in the morning you don't have a, a deer around you here comes uh we we had it happen this year we we like to try to shoot at six and seven years old but we we got a lot of good footage of four and five year olds that were just inhaling it and went right back to chasing um and i've seen that for years and generally speaking i mean i i think that what i see with our products we we see more deer but when when we use our products, we see a lot more bucks. And if you talk to a lot of people that use our products, they'll talk about that. They'll say, I never knew I had these bucks here. In my neighborhood here in San Antonio that I live, um, I throw corn out all the time for the deer. I'm not supposed to, you know, but whatever. <laughs> you know, ask, ask I for forgiveness, not permission. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I haven't gotten a letter from the HOA yet, but, um, <laughs> you, you know, I, I'm, your grass I'm is like, too high still- and stop feeding the deer, Josh. It's actually pretty funny. The deer around me, I feed them, you know, I test products out on or whatnot. But when I open our garage in the morning, like four or five deer will just pop out of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. And so 
but there, there are deer that um, bucks that, that we don't see until I pour out a bag. I truly believe that, that this helps us see bucks more regularly and bucks that, you know, it entices them to make what I call daylight mistakes. And, you know, those big boys only make so many daylight mistakes. I like to stack the odds as, as much as I can. Let's talk about strategy a little bit. So when it comes to, to feeding, I mean, the general, and again, this is just making some generalities, but the general way hunting is done in the Southeast is that a lot of food plots get planted and there's a lot of cutover land and a lot of timber land. And so, you know, it's very typical for guys to hunt roads, which I guess would be similar to, you know, your senderos that you guys have in South Texas. Mm -hmm. It's very common for them to hunt cutovers in the mornings. And then in the evenings, a lot of guys are going to go sit on a on a food source. Uh, a lot of times it's a, it's a food plot that they've planted. Um, maybe it's, uh, you know, it, during the right time of the year, they're hunting over hardwoods and that kind of thing. So when it comes to feeding, do you feel like in, in, and let me step back in another, a lot of these food plots have been planted, uh, in these areas for 30, 40 years. So the deer have grown up their whole lives knowing that, Hey, that, that acre over there is a food source and, and they're, they're well aware of that. They're used to that. So when it comes to supplementally feeding and putting out uh, deer attractant, do you feel like it's better to find sign and put the stuff out, uh, you know, and kind of use it to, to get a deer once you've found, say, found some deer to get them to come out and, and, and stick around, or do you want to use it in the same way that you'd use a food plot and kind of establish a feeding site that you pop in on and hunt? I think really you could do all of the above, you know, it, 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 depending on how big that food plot is, you know, there's some bucks that don't want to come out in that sort of congested area. Um, they like having a a little nook and cranny. And so I've, I've had a lot of success. I've had a lot of other people that have had success. Maybe you take a little spot, you have a stand on a trail that leads into that bigger food plot, you know? So I think everything that you listed can be successful. Um, within a food plot, we all know we've hunted them and we have those corners that we're just like, God, he's just going to stay in that corner and he's never going to come out. And he does, you see, and you just can't ever shoot him because he just doesn't ever come out in the middle of it. So what I like, you know, try to put this in a shooting lane or at a distance, whether it be bow or gun, you know, use our products in conjunction with a food plot and, you know, more about shot placement. Cause I mean, I've got, I've got one food plot and it's the way the lay of the land is. I mean, there's bucks that come out in that corner and they just will not, they just circle around. And so we don't pull, you know, uh, a lot of times just put some feed, you know, right by a tree and it's about 30 yards away from where they are just trying to draw them out there or keep them there a little bit longer. You know, a lot of times it works. That's interesting um, to hear you say that because I think, I think a lot of guys struggle with if you've, if they've hunted in a state that, that has not never allowed be, baiting, you know, during hunting season, you know, they kind of struggle uh, just in their own minds with, am I going to ruin the essence of the hunt? You know, is this, they, they feel like they're doing something wrong because it's been against the law for so long and, the situation you just described is is a perfect example of how you can use uh, supplemental feed and and how you can use bait to as a tool and not a crutch. And if you think about 
hunting a logging road or hunting an area uh, where you've got a narrow shot opportunity and you know deer are crossing there. You've, you've sat there, you've either, you know, observed them cross or you've seen the tracks. You've done the scouting, you know, you've done the work to find those deer and you know that they're going to be coming across there in the daylight and tomorrow morning. And you're able to get out there and put out some feed that just stops those deer, even if it's just for 30 seconds and allows you to make an ethical shot, uh, a better shot than what you would have had to take, hadn't done it. I don't see that as a crutch. I see that as a tool. Uh, absolutely. I mean, in our, our South Texas brush, I mean, we hear from people all the time. Why don't y'all just stalk around? And I tell them, hey, come on down. I'll give you a free hunt. You can stalk all around the brush you want. Tell me how it goes for you. Because it's, it's a wall of thorns. And, you know, there's nothing more frustrating when you're sitting there. It's kind of, you know, slowed down. And all of a sudden you look to your left and there's just a monster. And he's just walking. And, he, and he's just going to walk on by. And uh, we also have had those days where, you know, it might be 4.15 or, or something like that. And you're sitting on that food plot. We go back to that situation. And so maybe you've got a buck that's just in the corner. He's not going to come all the way out because there's no does out in the field right now. But if he just smells that BB squared and he knows, well, I might just get a little bit of a bite. I don't necessarily need him to even get to the BB squared. I need him to come to it a little bit. I need it to confuse him a little bit and then go, oh, gosh, do I go back to chasing those or do I fill my belly real quick? And even, you know, he's going to come to it. But to kill him, I don't need him to get all the way there. I just need some time. It's interesting to hear you say that. And that brings to mind something else is, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about wind direction. And most of the time we're thinking about concealing ourselves and concealing our our scent. So do you ever use, you know, your, if you've got a bait site, um, you've got an area that you've got bait out, how do you use the wind? Do you, are you still thinking about concealing yourself or are you trying to actually get that, that scent of that attractant to blow into that bedding area? Uh, there's a, there's a a spot that I can think of that I I love this spot. It's, it's a, an area that has a lot of deer trails and movement, but because of the way the terrain is, it's not specific. So they could take, you could have deer walking by you all morning and, and you, you know, you never see them just because there's so many different trails right there. But what I, I usually have got the the wind kind of right. It's not in my face. It's kind of coming across. And what I try to do is angle off some BB squared, you know, in that brush to where some it's, they're just picking up a scent and then it's bringing them over. I use the wind quite a lot to, to do that. You know, if I can get to uh, like a day where we've got a north wind and so it's, it's basically coming perpendicular across me. Oh, I love that because I know they're going to get that whiff of every deer that comes by. And there's days I have seen deer just move through there. And, you know, maybe I didn't get there in time to put bait out or whatnot. And and they don't ever come in front of me. I can see them in the brush. I I can't get an ethical shot on them. So, um, you know, this being something they know, oh, I'm going to get a snack. They're they're going to be attracted and come out into your trap. Because that's what you're trying to set. You're trying to set an ambush, you know. Same thing if, if we're bass fishing. And we're just running a hook by that log. Bass isn't going to come out, right? You know, we run that big spinner bait and just kind of drop it. Ooh, what's that? So, uh, I don't know if that's a great analogy, but I've I've tried to use the bass fishing one a lot to, to uh, how you can use 
you know, wh- whether it's our product or a different bait, but thinking of different things versus, you know, thinking of strategy and tactics versus just like, I'm going to dump it here and I don't care where the wind is because I got to smell it. Yeah, I like that. Uh, because I, I, think about, you, you got to think about too, if you're bow hunting, we're, if we're bow hunting and we're in a pop-up blind and the wind's right in our face, right? And we go dump a pile right directly in front of us. The wind's going to be blowing that bait into me and then behind me. Where are the deer going to come from? Hopefully not behind you. They're going you didn't, you didn't to come right behind us. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're never going to see them. Right. We're never going to see those deer because they just went, woo, that was smelled good, but I just got a whiff of armpit right. and I'm going somewhere else. So, I, I, you know, in that situation, I would want to put the bait maybe off 45 degrees to where it's blowing in a different direction sure to, to yeah, sort I've of protect my that, downwind i've always called that a wind edge you know we we um we do a, like i say we do a lot of food plot hunting so we're hunting over hunt over food sources and when you're bow hunting over a food source you know the deer the deer wants a wind that they feel comfortable with to go to that food source they want to smell mm-hmm. what's in that food plot before they enter that food plot and you've got to be able to position your stand in such a way that the deer are able to smell what's on that food plot before they get there and, but not smell you. So I've always called that like, you know, a wind edge. If I've got a, if I've got a square or a rectangle food plot and I've got a, you know, a east to west wind, then I want to put my stand down in that, you know, southwest corner so that those deer can still smell what's on that food plot, but I've got the best chance of them not smelling me. They'd have to come all the way from the south and, and you know, do encircle my stand to be able to catch my wind. And same thing with, with bait. And, and I think that's a big key difference between what you guys have as opposed to just feeding regular corn is that, I mean, I, I can't smell a pile of regular corn from five yards away. From what I understand no. about stuff, you can, you can smell it from quite a distance. So I can see that. Being yeah, and, you know, I think of a scenario of uh, this oak field in this place that I used to manage and God, it was just covered with deer. And, you know, what we would do is just set up brush blinds, but it was, you know, difficult because there's a lot of people who are like, okay, well, I'm just going to go and get the wind in my face. Well, when you did that, that wind's blowing into the brush behind you and the deer, that's how they came into the field. It was very tricky. Well, they would still come into the field, but when they came behind you and smelled you, they would come out. 400 yards down and 500 the other way. And so there were times that I waited to hunt some of those spots when I had the wind at my back blowing into the field. Right. Because, you know, if I never get to see the deer, I can't have a chance to shoot him. So yes, probably I spooked a few does. They couldn't figure out what, you know, remain calm. But I think there's just a lot of things to go in and and think about. And, And sometimes you have to get in there and go, and this isn't working how I thought it would be on paper. So, you know, I, I say don't get afraid to, you know, think outside the, the paradigm, as that they you say. You know? Right. And I know it's paradigm, but that's just my joke from an old commercial, but whatever. <laughs> um, I've, I've had multiple people when I say that go, uh, you know, it's actually paradigm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that there's lots of different things you have to think about. And, you know. Of course, if it's somebody that goes out to the hunt and they use our product and they don't kill a Boone and Crockett deer, they're, uh, it's our fault. And I've got friends that work for broadhead companies. And of course, you know, every time somebody wounds a deer, it, it, it's the broadhead's fault. Um, but, you know, if you get in this situation and you've, you've got your, your bait set up wrong or you're, you're, 
you know, you might, you might be putting it somewhere where you're just not, there's not deer. Um, there's a lot of things that go into it. And it's just the same thing. I can be mad at Rapala all day long if I'm throwing my lure out in the middle of the lake. Well, we've had that conversation before too, is that this, like you said before, is not a magic bullet. And if you're not doing all the other things that you need to be doing with habitat management and, uh, and herd management, putting out bait is not going to automatically just create more deer on your property. And it, it's not going to dr- draw deer from a really long distance away if you don't have the cover and the, the you know, year-round nutrition and, and the things that they need uh, besides just food on your property. So, you know, thinking that it's going to do that is, is, is just faulty logic, but. Yeah. I and, and I tell you, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of water. I'm telling you, even in the rut, even when it's winter in the spots where I hunt and I have water, I will see bucks come in and take a couple of drinks of water when they're running those. And so, you know, I have, I mean, even in South Texas, I have water and I, that's one thing I'm working on right now, more water. Because, you know, I want to give them everything they need versus the, the arid wasteland neighbor to the adjacent to me. So I, I, I'm with you 100 percent. You've got a, there's a lot of different things that go into it. It's a it's a chess match. And, you know, it's it's that's what I love about it. It's there's more to it sometimes than uh, just going and dumping some corn on the ground. And, you know, and if that's what you do, hey, that's fine. But um, I think there's there's a lot more enjoyment and there's a lot more. Uh, pleasure that can come out from from this larger chess match. And we talked earlier about raccoons and how they might affect you, but um, yes, we've now got feral hogs in every county in our area and all of Alabama and surrounding states for the most part. How do you use this in your neck of the woods and minimize attracting hogs? Okay, so this is something, if you get on our Facebook page or you were to look at our email, we get this all the time. People are like, oh, I don't want to use it. You know, hogs are messing up. Well, and I know here in Texas, we've had them longer than most people, but you, you, you have to take precautions against them. And there's areas that I know I'm not going to go dump 40 pounds of PB squared in that spot because I know hogs are going to come out, eat it at 430. And then I'm just going to be sitting there twiddling my thumbs bored. What we've done that's so effective to in, in your feed sites, and it's, it's very inexpensive. And in the long run, Anybody that tells me that they're gonna that, that they're not gonna spend the time and effort to do this, I'm telling you, you're gonna spend a lot more time and effort pulling your hair out. But we use hog panels and we make pins. And until you get everything that you own out on your hunting lease destroyed by hogs, you, you just won't understand. And if y'all have them, you'll understand quickly. But you can go to Tractor Supply, get a couple of T posts, get hog panels, and you know, make you some spots that are going to be, you know, deer friendly. And, you know, the hogs might try to dig under it here and there. And, um, you know, but they generally speaking, they can't jump over if you need to add a a strand. I'm big on making the enclosures big enough. Deer will feel comfortable with it sooner than they will smaller ones, but they will become accustomed to the smaller ones. Um, I had several smaller ones left over. I, you know, I prefer them to be about 16 feet all the way around, um, you know, and, and you, you can get into where you take a little panel and maybe you make like a door so you can get in and out of it. You're not a door. I'm sorry, a gate. But, you know, I have a bunch of smaller 
ones that have been there for years. And I mean, some of my biggest, oldest bucks jump in and out of that, like no problem. But that protects us against cattle and it protects us against hawks because th- those two can be a huge pain in the butt. And, um, you know, even if you've got your, you know, your, your corn feeder, I, I highly suggest if y'all have hogs, if you don't want to buy a corn feeder every year, go buy you some hog panels and some T-posts. And, you know, I'm looking right here at uh, on Tractor Supply, their feedlot panel, hog, 16 foot, 34 inches high, $24.99 a piece. They got a 50, oh, look at this. They got a 50 inch one on sale for $22.99. Not so, a big, um, not a big expense when you, when you factor in the amount of, of feed you're going to run through these, these feed sites and, and the amount of money, you everything. It's your it, feed, your, your feeder and the frustration. Right. Because they, they you, your hogs may come in, but you know that they're, they're not going to stay uh, in large groups to do that. And I, man, I tell this to people over and over again, and I don't know if it's just that we're more accustomed here to, to doing this, but it's, I, I won't go put out a feeder without this. Now we've got cows on our place too. So, you know, I, I, I think a lot of it, Josh is, is, and I'm just, again, I'm just speaking from my own experiences that, I mean, there's something to just looking out there and not feeling like there's something man-made, you know, um, in your hunting spot. And I think a lot of folks have to get used to that. Um, and, and that's probably true. Uh, but with a, a non-native invasive species like feral hogs, uh, until you get rid of them, you really can't compromise. Well, and then, and the thing is too, is that anybody who's got them and anybody's dealing with them does not want to do anything to attract more or to help them out in any way. So if you're going to go out and put out feed and you're going to do that, I mean, you owe it to the, you owe it to the native animals in your area to, to do that. <laughs> and, and it's a good tip. I've never done it. I haven't and, done it. Or have you done it, Clint, on y'all's place? No, not really. It, it doubles up as uh, if you've got cattle on, on the place you hunt, which, you know, I mean, most people do. This keeps cattle from, from messing it well because cattle can be just as disruptive. As, I mean, they, you know, they'll just mow things over. And, you know, if cattle come in this area, and they know that there's feed in this area. They'll bed down all around you, and you'll never see a deer that night. Right. And so um, the other thing with hogs, uh, you know, I've managed many, many properties, and I've worked with Rick Taylor, who's a Texas Partial Wildlife uh, biologist that retired a few years ago. Rick has literally written the book on hog management. So I've gotten to learn a lot of stuff uh, from him, and he's probably forgotten more about pig management than I know. But, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of studies out there that have shown us that sometimes trapping hogs incorrectly can be more damaging than doing it right. Uh, The Fort Benning study did a great job of showing that you really need to catch the entire sounder. And if you don't and you you catch a couple here and you catch a couple here, pigs are so smart. They are going to learn to never go in a trap again. Mama's going to teach every single piglet never to do that again. And that sounder that you may be, let's say there's 10 pigs in that, that sounder and you trap half of them and you're thinking, ah, I got five of them, but other five got away. Well, those sows that just got away are going to have a litter of 10 to 12 each. And they're going to have two to three litters a year. And every one of those piglets becomes sexually mature at six months old. So those five that just got away that will never go into a trap again 
has grown and in, you know in a year it's an exponential problem but so yeah, um numbers I'm, I, add up I, I, and i've seen it i, I have seen it uh and i've done it wrong and rick taylor got all over me about 10 years ago we were catching the heck out of, out of hogs and then out of the same trap we we went three years without catching another hog in that trap wow. three years you could watch them they and we we would get cell you know um not cell cams we'd get trail cameras up and they'd come right up to the edge, eat right there, turn around, walk off. And um, so, you know, in, in Texas, we, we try to say that there's a lot of things that we do where we hunt hogs, but um, we're also at war with them. And, you know, we do a lot of aerial helicopter. Um, that, that's the only way we can tread water because our problem got too great too quick uh, versus, you know, hopefully you all can mitigate some of this before before you all get too bad we shall see there's some things going on uh with the usda that they're going to try to do it but i don't know we may be in the same same boat i mean hogs have been in in the area in the areas of the south you know for a long time but usually it's been confined confined to the swampier areas now they've moved out uh time will only tell on that but either way they're here and we got to make sure that anything we're doing bringing into the woods is not not helping them out that's that's that is for sure So if you can pin that stuff up and get them, but you know, I know there's a lot of people out there to say, Oh, you shouldn't hunt them or you shouldn't kill them, you know, because then I I've never seen that. I mean, my wife killed four hogs out of the same sounder during spring break hunting different blinds. She was trying to reload and get, but get more than one out of the group, but they they're coming to feed and you know, whittling them down, it's fun. Uh, it doesn't really get you too much, but trapping can be very, very effective if you can uh, build a big enough trap. You know, I'm, I'm friends with Kenyon from Southern Boys Outdoors. He's actually got, you know, he works with a company that drops uh, a, a big gate down that you just build a circle around. Uh, he's also got videos on his YouTube page of how to build an S trap that's, you know, very inexpensive. There, there's a lot of ways you can create a trap big enough that's that's inexpensive and, and will make you a whole lot happier when you go there and you find what you got in it. Well, Josh, today's been enlightening, man. I appreciate you coming on and uh, telling us more about, about Big and Jay, but also the, the bigger picture of, of using deer tractants and some things that we can do to be successful with that if we choose to do it. If folks want to get more information on Big and Jay and y'all's complete line of products, where can they go? Um, you know, our website's bigandj.com, B-I-G-A-N-D, and just the letter J. And when we produce a lot of content that isn't just on TV, uh, we've got content on Amazon Prime. Uh, we've got our own Grove channel called Feed the Hunt. Uh, we'll probably make a deer eater version of that as well. You know, what we've had to do is we've had to utilize those avenues because YouTube has, has really gotten a little bit um, we haven't, we've had a lot of issues with YouTube on hunting and shooting related stuff. So we're just trying to find a different avenue to where our content doesn't get throttled. Yeah. Well, great, man. Well, again, we appreciate having you, uh, you coming on and being with us today. And, uh, hopefully we get, get a chance to talk to you again soon. Uh, anytime we got some questions on supplemental feeding and baiting, hope you have a good, uh, good season this year. Well, uh, thing to you guys. And yeah, you know, we, we're, we're happy that Alabama is in the club. Your rivals, Georgia, got in it last year. So, uh, you know, uh, if y'all ever have any questions or need anything, just give me a call. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Thanks. Clint, I'm still on the fence, man. What are you thinking? You, uh, you... I, I, I think it's about finding a balance, you know, not, not going over the top with it and 
learning how to utilize it like a tool, no different than a grunt or, or scent killer or anything else you use. It's supposed to give you that edge. It's just about, you know, using it correctly and using it in, in moderation. Yeah, I think I think I agree with you on that. I think if you can use it in concert with proper habitat management, just good practices all the way around and things that we've always done with habitat, with herd management, but also, you know, not forgetting your woodsmanship. Uh, I can I can feel good about doing my scouting and then using supplemental feed to to present myself with a better shot opportunity. I mean, I, everybody's had that that chance at a deer that they missed the chance of a shot because they just didn't have enough time. Did everything right, they didn't didn't have enough time, or they made a bad shot because they had to rush a shot. I could I could feel good about using thing you know using feed in that way, and I could also feel good about it if I knew that I was doing something that you know, was benefiting my herd from a nutritional standpoint, as opposed to just, you know, giving them candy and congregating them in, in one area. So yeah, but you know, to each his own, uh, if, if you feel good about it and it's legal, go for it. That's how I feel about the whole thing in general. And, uh, sounds like, sounds like the guys at big and Jay have got a whole lot of options. I really like what he was saying about, you know, that different things work, work better in different areas. I never really thought about it like that. I don't know why I hadn't, but, you know, being able to match products, match feed products to deficiencies that you've got in your area. That's an interesting concept I've never even considered. Well, folks, that's going to wrap it up this week for Hunting Land. Hope you've gotten something out of this show and um, learned a little more about supplemental feeding. And hopefully this can help you with uh, with your hunting season coming up. As always, we appreciate you listening. Please uh, please review us on uh, on iTunes. We appreciate all the reviews over there. It really helps us keep the show going. If you would like us to email you the show, just email us at pros at landhunting.com, and we'll send it to you each week. And until then, we'll see you guys next week.